0: we going to let the band deal with this. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Playoffs?
0: M-I-A <NBA> style. <laughs> Old school. Playoffs? Uh-huh.
1: It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday where it is absolutely pouring uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs. But uh, for Philadelphia Union fans, it's nothing but sunshine and rainbows. And perhaps the uh, supporter shield at the end of that rainbow. What a crazy thing. I, I can't believe that the, uh, the supporters, the Philadelphia Union are in the uh, driver's seat for the <laughs> supporter shield. If you told me that when I started the podcast four years ago. I would have said you crazy. <laughs> jo- joining us to talk about it from uh, MLSsoccer.com, Extra Time Radio, a uh, senior host and uh, producer for MLS and my favorite Kansas Jayhawk. It's Andrew Wiebe.
0: Yeah, let's go. You would have been crazy four years ago. Like, you, we would have had to just. You know, probably fit you for a straight jacket and say, I I don't know, Kevin, I'm not sure that's where this team is going. But uh, that is the state of the union these days from, as I wrote recently, mediocre soccer team. This was probably not four years ago, more like back in the uh, early 2010 days to now a team that every 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 club in MLS should be looking at and saying, wow, we can learn from those guys. They're doing something uh, above and beyond. It's it's incredible. It's awesome.
1: It's bizarre, world man. You've probably been covering the league as long as I have, probably before I started. I mean, at at any point, you know, through the Nick Sakevich years and Ryu Samboli and Ernie Stewart and every and then three U.S. Open Cup final losses, did you ever think that the union would find themselves at at this point?
0: Uh, I hoped because I thought that while they were doing something that wasn't necessarily hugely ambitious in like the designated player realm, it was hugely ambitious in the development realm. And that just takes time. Like it just takes patience. It takes a lot of money. And it it takes uh, an ownership group and a technical staff that's willing to stay the course. And I think that's, that's hard, you know, like, For Jim Curtin getting this job and being in it for as long as he has, that's against the odds. Like, I think you could just say straight up, from this time he got the job until now, you would not have thought that he would stick around. But from the very top to the bottom, they said, We are investing in YSC. We're investing in youth. It's going to take many, many years, but we think at the end of that road, and to go back to your analogy, that there's a pot of gold there for us. And now look, there is a pot of gold. Brendan Aronson is the first sort of realization of that full pathway, which is academy. USL, first team, first team success, and then the transfer fee that allows us to push all that money right back in and keep the conveyor belt going. So while I didn't necessarily see this coming, I hope that it would because I am an avowed hashtag play your kids uh, sort of aficionado. Yeah. And the best part about this is that the union are doing it sort of both ways. They have you know the youth development side through it's coming, to, it's coming good at the first team level, whether it be Mark McKenzie or... Aaronson, or now Fontana's emergence, or Matt Real, or whoever else you want to pick out and spotlight throughout the squad, and then then now they spent money too, and it may not be like Gonzalo Higuaín money, but it's not no money. Like Jamiro Montero was not cheap. Mm-hmm. Alejandro Bedoya was a real investment on their part. They've hit on their Tam signings for a while. There was like oh, is Sergio Santos going to hit, and oh yes, he has. He's been a huge contributor. Casper Shabilko the same way. They go found, find value well, hi, here's Kai Wagner. Nobody knows who that is, but he's one of the best left backs in soccer now. Super draft value, Ray Gattis, been there for nine years now, still ever consistent, ever tucked in. Jack Elliott, I mean, you can go up and down that squad. I mean, it's just like all the different ways that you want to try to build an MLS team outside of just splashing $10 million on somebody, they've done it and they've done it well. And if you're a team that In your business plan or whatever it is or your ambitions, you're not going to be Inter-Miami or you're not going to be the Galaxy or you're not going to be LAFC. You should look at the union and say, there's no reason why we can't compete and be one of, if not be the best team in Major League Soccer. It's out there. It's available to us. The pathway is there. We just have to be smart, strategic, and invest in the right places. And the union have done that.
1: So why I was on Twitter yesterday and I saw that the uh, union oh, social boy. media account was giving oh, you cra- crap for something. And I, I, I kind of got the story. I thought it had something to do with you thinking that they didn't have an MV, MVP candidate. Yeah, but correct me, me if I'm wrong story. and defend yourself here if you'd like.
0: Yeah, let me tell you the story. So I wrote a column late at night, which is what I do because I have two small children under three. And in that <laughs> column, I was basically handicapping the MVP candidates. And, and, I, and I said, look, the union don't have a clear one. And then the word I use is they don't have a credible MVP candidate. And that was probably too strong of a word. And it was one of those trigger words that when somebody reads it, let's just say a union social media staffer, they they think, oh, yeah, they get a little offended. And I took it back actually the morning before they had their tweet come out because I'm assuming it was a scheduled tweet that they saw. And I changed it and I softened it a little bit. Um, But I actually still think that it's true, that they don't have a credible MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. And that's not a knock on any of the players on the Philadelphia Union. It is more so a way of praising the Philadelphia Union for the strength of their collective. Like, they don't have one guy that if you took him out of the squad, this whole thing would fall apart. There's not like, you know, it's not the Jenga block that you're like, nobody touch that thing because if somebody does, this whole thing is coming down. Like
1: They're on their third string defensive midfielder last night with Jack Elliott yeah, who hadn't played good, defensive, yeah. defensive mid since college. Yeah.
0: There are so many important pieces in this team that there is not one singular important piece. And rather than that being a knock on the union, which is understandably how it was portrayed, I am always down to you know play the hashtag content games. The national, you're, the national,
1: you're now the national yeah. media guy who hates um, this,
0: Philadelphia. Yeah, that's fine with me. Dallas came out and got me too for my Brian Reynolds yeah, yeah. stuff later in the day. So I'm, I'm always down for that. <laughs> um, I think the, the point was maybe a little bit misconstrued. And it's a, it's a point that, once again, goes back to what I was saying, which is that every possible mechanism out there for the union to build through They've done so, and they've hit on it. And that's why they're here. Now, one of those places is also the fact that they've kept guys healthy. And then you saw last night some of those guys come off. You know, Andre Blake leaves the game. Ray, Ray left the game as well. You have Jack Elliott playing in, in midfield, the defensive midfield, where he is actually better than anybody would have thought him to be. Um, so we have to see what happens with that. But I think this team's going to win the Supporters' Shield, and I think it's going to be their just desserts for all the strategic planning and, and commitment that they've had to their project.
1: So I'm going to help your point. By pointing out that last night, Wednesday night, the Chicago win, Corey Burke scored the game winner. Corey Burke hasn't even been here Mm-mm. the entire damn year. The guy who assisted him on the game winner is Olivier and who's not even the first string right fullback. You have Andrew Vooten with the goal line clearance of the of the in, entire season. Guy who hasn't even scored a goal. <laughs> okay, here's a striker. With Which course, I thought in scored. the moment
0: I thought was kind of fitting. I was like, you know, it would be the guy who was brought here to score goals, but hasn't been and seemingly won't yeah. that manages to have the incredible acrobatic way of not having the ball go in the back of the net. <laughs> but
1: isn't that like the total, I mean, I, th- I think it's like, I think it's funny because that's the most union. That's the, the perfect way to describe this union season. First of all, they got a lot of luck with the red card that I didn't think was a red card. Yeah, you know, they got, they got the penalty, um you know they have a Didn't guy think who that was, was a
0: handball personally
1: a guy who couldn't get into the country scored a game-winning goal for him the backup fullback assisted him and the striker who p- earns five hundred thousand dollars or whatever who can't score a goal got the f- goal line clearance um it's amazing i mean it's a team that never really got those strokes of luck before like you've never seen the bounces fall their way like they have this year um i want to get into the shield but i mean first off just just your thought because i think we're on the same page here I didn't think it was a red card. Chicago's going to appeal it. Um, The red card, the penalty, just any thoughts from the game last night?
0: Those feel to me like Francisco Calvo reputation calls. You know, just thinking, oh, yeah, it's Calvo. He does things that are sometimes unexplainable Uh, on the field in MLS. He's a frequent subject of instant replay, and he was yet again. I, I just thought he was tracking the ball. He accidentally stepped on Alejandro Bedoya. Those things happen in a game. For Badoya, that sucks. He doesn't want to have his Achilles stepped on. But there's no excessive force. There's no brutality there. I don't think there's any intent. So I don't think he should have been sent off, but it was a big break for the union, as you said. And then on the handball, it's the rule of the law is so hard. I, every week I'm grappling with it and trying to read between the lines and read into the verbiage and, and ask myself, is that an unnatural position? Did he make himself bigger? And I know Alejandro Badoya had a handball call pretty recently that that the union didn't like that I thought was a handball, but it was so in between. It was like the way I read it is that Bedoya turned and probably knew that his arm would provide a little bit extra width and it went off the arm. So what are you going to do? You're certainly not going to reverse it. I think that's probably the same case here. Francisco Calvo has a ball pinged at him from like five feet away. He reacts as any of us would, which is to be like, oh God, here it comes. His hand goes out three inches and it hits his hand and then you're never going to reverse that. So those are points of, of luck, but the union are creating their own luck. You know, I think that's also the difference in years past. In years past, maybe that they were on the reverse side of that. They were the ones putting themselves in bad positions. Now they're putting themselves in good positions, and the outcomes are more likely than not good. These are the sorts of games that you have to win to be a Shield winner. And I know it's a weird season. I know the schedule's all wonky, and everything's different, and that's fine. Uh, Everybody's playing in in similar conditions, and and we have to acknowledge that. But those are the games that if you win the Shield, you're going to have two or three of those a year where it's like, you walk out and you say, ooh, probably shouldn't have won that. But we did, and we have the points, mm-hmm. and we're not going to apologize.
1: You know, I, I have this take about handballs inside the box, and we, I've talked about it on this podcast a bunch. I'm interested to bounce it off you just to see what you think of it. Yeah, always um, talk refs. I hate the – and I refed for like seven or eight months, and I had a couple of these calls. and I always felt bad making them. But uh, one of my favorite plays in soccer that we never see is uh, indirect free kicks right? And I feel like in order to punish the handball inside the box, but not kill you with the, with these easy penalties, um, I would love to see a scenario where you handle the ball inside the box. We'll give you a yellow card, but instead of giving them the penalty, we'll give you an indirect free kick inside the box. Those plays are really exciting. I know they're close range. I feel like you might end up with a concussion or two, which you don't want to have, but I'm just trying to think of a way to to do appropriate punishment without giving you the penalty at the same time so handball inside the box indirect free kick that's my take what do you think of that
0: I think it's challenging because like you look at last night Nick DePew, um DePuey? I don't know for the Galaxy has a pretty clear handball where he slides in and his arms above his head and he's mm-hmm. blocking across at the end line so if you give an indirect free kick in that situation it's almost there's there's like no advantage for the attacking team right if you're in a position yeah. where you might be able to put a shot on goal with a touch or a pullback or whatever it might be I could see it but the challenge I think is that what you don't want to have happen and what will happen, because these are professional players whose job it is to get results, is that they will find a way to use rule changes to their advantage. And if I'm a defender and that's the rule, I am going to be using my arm to make try myself to ex- bigger. Exploit
1: that, yeah. All
0: the time. Like yeah. I am going to be, you know, if, if I think you have an angle to cross in particular from those inline positions, I am always going to be getting my arm up. I'm always going to be kind of pretending like as I run, my arm has to come out into this position. I'm mm-hmm. always going to be trying to expand my body. Try to because see if she
1: can get away yeah, with it. Yeah, because
0: I know the price to be paid is really probably not going to be that painful mm-hmm. for me as opposed to if I just let a free cross into the box. I think that, I think that the problem is, is that so much of soccer's rules are subjective and, and sometimes we get obsessed with this notion that when somebody sees a play – for the rules to be legitimate, for the game to be sort of fair, everybody should have the same conclusion. And I think that's probably something that we just have to let go of. You know, they, they, there's a, the concept. I, I was a baseball player growing up, and, and I was a catcher. And every single strike zone is different. And every single strike zone is, is different based on the umpire and based on the game in which it's being umped. Like, you can change it, you can change it based on what the ump did in the first inning. He might have made a call that he thought was a little borderline, but now he has to stick to it because that's where he's been calling balls and strikes. I mean, it's the same sort of concept in soccer. Every game is just going to be different. I think the key is to get better uh, sort of verbiage around the rules so that we can all read the rule and say, I understand what that means in the best possible sense, and then just accept variability. That's part of what makes the game beautiful, is us sitting here on this podcast arguing about rules, arguing about results, I understand for players and for people who have money or who have, you know, whether that's owners or GMs or jobs or whatever, all these things on the line that can be infuriating or just fans who have their, like, kind of pride and their night and their happiness on the line, infuriating. But I think it's what makes this game so special is that there are so many different things that you can sit down the day afterwards with a coffee and talk to somebody and just become impassioned, enraged, opinionated, like – Emotion to me is what makes this game so special, and I, I would hesitate to take it out. But I am absolutely on the side of we got to find a way to make it just a, that smidgen more clear, so that people understand when a call is made, why that call is made, and what the logic is. Because sometimes I think it's hard to see that when you watch it, it called in all different ways, depending on the game and the situation, the angle, the video assistant referee, the referee, the AR. You're just you're putting it through so many different filters that inevitably different results are going to come out of it.
1: Um, Let's enter the shield conversation with just uh, trying to clear some things up here. Um, We were trying to do the math last night, and we know that if the union win out, if they win their next two games, they win the shield. because they get to 50 points, 50 points divided by 23 games is 2.7 points per game, and nobody can match them on that. Do we know, has the league said anything about rescheduling the games that Seattle and Kansas City lost with Colorado?
0: I'm in the same boat as everybody else, which is I have no – I have no information on that. I don't believe that it can be fit in. I think there's an inevitability of this season that um, in these times that there are just going to be different games, total games played. And we talked about this on Extra Time. There's no news yet, but I think everybody – But it's 2.32 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, I, I do that on the show because things change so quickly in this day yeah, and age right, right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, that Sam Stace was reporting that they'll change to points per game for the playoffs, like the playoff places and seeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would assume that that would probably also apply to the Shield as well. And that's just a guess. Right. I think that is the most fair way to do it. And I understand that no matter how you do it, somebody's going to be mad about it. Because yeah. as the standings stand right now, Inter Miami are in on points and Tiebreaker on points, but would not be in on points per game. Chicago Fire would jump above them, having played one game less with equal points. Out in the Western Conference, you would have Colorado jump in and Vancouver drop out. I think it's more about the totality of the playoff field than it is Mm -hmm. just about the teams on the line because you have to get your seeding right and you have to have, I think, a universal way to judge the entire league and seed. Otherwise, you're just picking and choosing. So you can't punish teams who didn't have a case who couldn't play a game.
1: I agree with that. They're ready to
0: play. The other side can't do it. What are they supposed to do? So you, you have to have the same, in my mind, you have to have the same sort of, again, to go back to filters, that you're looking through at every single team. And I was a person who went on Extra Time and said, hey, if you haven't played 20 games, I think probably we should just say postseason is not for you. Uh, sort of the way yeah. that, that MLS back happened. Like, hey, play this minimum number of games, and then maybe you can go to points per game off that. Um, but as it stands, I think if you're just looking at the entire league, this is probably the most equitable way of doing it. In a it is, year it, it is
1: what it is. I mean, everybody yeah. everybody knew coming into this that this was not that, that everybody was just going to have to take it for what it is, and that it's not going to be perfect, and that we're going to kind of have to have tweet tweet. It's things society.
0: It's the same but as yeah, society. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're in an right. impossible situation. What do you, every single one of us is? Nobody can get outside of that that reality. So right. how do you make yeah. the very best of an impossible situation? This is probably as good as you're going to get to making the best of it.
1: So, so here's the thing. So if, if the, the Union are on 44 points now, if Seattle wins out, they get to 22 games and 44 points. But 44 divided by 22 is two points per game. So if they don't make up that Colorado game, they can't get above two PPG, right? The Union can get to 2.08 and 2.04 if they win and draw or if they win and lose. So I think we can safely say that if they win in Columbus on Sunday, that should be the clincher. Um, unless there 's something else that comes back into it because it, unless my math is wrong i don 't think that kansas city can get to can get above two point o four and i don 't think Seattle can get above two point o four either um and i I think more than anything um you know the thing about the shield is it, it's been unbalanced since you and I, since our like first season cover in MLS, you know, not mm-hmm. since like 2011, I think. Right. So it's always going to have, an, the shield always comes with an asterisk. Okay. The asterisk might be a little bit bigger, but it's an asterisk nonetheless. So to me, there's a bigger difference from going from balance to asterisk to a bigger asterisk, right? There's going to be some footnote in there somewhere. Um, I think if they beat Columbus in Columbus, they'll have a win over Columbus. They'll have a win over Toronto. They'll have a couple wins over the revs. I think that's a legitimate run. I think you put that up against what Seattle had to do if they were going to make an argument for their strength of schedule. And uh, asterisk aside, I think it would be justified to award the union that trophy based on what I think is a pretty good schedule.
0: I don't even think you need an asterisk. And I argued this in a him the other day. We don't need an asterisk. We don't even need to talk about it. Everybody just knows. Everybody knows. Everybody will know. 2020 was weird. 2020 was unlike anything else. 2020 was challenging in a personal and professional way. That I hope to God we never see again. You know, for my own, selfishly for my own sort of well-being and for my I just hope that we never have to live through this sort of scenario again. And, and I'm not so naive to think as if that's the truth. I mean, there will be another challenging scenario in this world. There will be another thing that rocks our society to the core. That's that's just life. Um, and that's history. And if you if you ignore that, it's it's to ignore what's come before us and what will come, I think personally. So nobody will need that asterisk. What these players have done, the things that they have sacrificed, the lifestyles that they've had to lead, whether it be frequent testing or the limitations that they have because they need to stay on the field. Like, you know, I didn't even think about some of these things, but we were talking to Ray Gattis, and it's like, you know, for me, if I need food, I go to the grocery store, but, and then I wear my mask, and of course, I, I socially distance, I do all the right things. But if you're in a situation and you're a player in this league right now, would you go to the grocery store? No, you should. I wouldn't. Would you? Would you take any chances? No. You're living a different life. You're living an isolated life. You're having something stuck up your nose all the time. You're, you know, you're knowing that that one little thing could jeopardize the work of your entire team and what you've worked for in the union's case for many years and all these these guys the same thing. It's your profession. Um, so I don't think you need the asterisks. You play the games that you have in front of you, and if you have the most points per game at the end, as it stands, or the most points, whatever it ends up being. You deserve the honor, uh, period. And for the union, it shouldn't cheapen what would be history for them. It shouldn't cheapen this first trophy to put in the trophy cabinet. I think yeah. it will mean something, not necessarily more, but it'll just mean something different. It will well, be, it's hey, like look, what
1: you're it, – I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I, uh, you're kind of like segueing right into like my, my thought on it is that, that what, you're, what you're losing in balance on the schedule, that's being replaced by adversity, Yes. Right? So Mm -hmm. even though, you know, you don't have to go out and play Seattle on the road, you don't have to play Portland on the road. uh, You don't have to play whoever else on the road. The fact that these guys went down to Florida and did what they did and then, you know, had to deal with the pandemic, did all this travel during the pandemic. To me, that's just as much of an accomplishment or an achievement as anything, you know? So you put the asterisk on it, but it's a different kind of asterisk, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think like to kind of push it forward, you know, because the foundation said that they weren't going to award the shield initially and they came back and they changed their mind and they said they are going to do it. And to me, I think like, you know, if you're a supporter uh, one of the best ways that you can show support for your team, is to honor them for an accomplishment that was incredibly difficult based for the fact, based on the fact that they had to look out for their family and for their wives and their kids and stuff like that. So I think like my take, I think to reiterate that same sentence, like it's not any less of an achievement. It's just a different kind of achievement.
0: A hundred percent. And that's what I'm saying about the asterisks. Like it's not a negative asterisk. It's just like, Hey, that was, that was altogether different than anything else we've ever Mm -hmm. experienced. And you did it in that moment. I want to say one thing about the Supporters shield foundation and that committee. Mm -hmm. Um, which is that I don't blame them at all for making the decision that they did originally. You know, maybe there were some, you know, they've come out and said, maybe we just didn't communicate well. And I'm sure there were some missteps there, but I'm not one of those people that sits back and says like, Oh God, what a, what a poor decision. Like I understand where their hearts were at with it. I completely get it. And I think it's so admirable that in the end they were able to be reflective and they were able to include other people in the process. And then they came back and said, okay, well, We've seen a different light on this one, and we're going to continue it. In some ways, I think that makes – it made the case that the shield is even stronger than maybe some of us thought it to be, whether it was Greg Vanny's comments or Bedoya's comments to show that, hey, actually, coaches and players, though you may have not have thought as much in the past, they really, really care about it. And, oh, hey, by the way, the supporters, it's incredibly important to them. And it's a history, and it's a uniqueness within our own culture that we should be celebrating and appreciating and I think has increased – in sort of gravitas over the years as I've been covering the league but now I think occupies its rightful place which is recognizing what it stands for who it stands for the history behind it and the uniqueness that has been created within this soccer culture that sometimes I think we're a little bit hard on because we're within it because it's easy to say we don't have a history when that's demonstrably false um, we have an incredible rich soccer history as a country and this is an incredibly important part of it and you know, if the union get it, I, I think they'll cherish it and that's what matters.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, if we're going to criticize, if we were originally going to criticize the foundation for their decision, then we should give them credit for listening to the 100%. feedback and, and switching. It's funny because we have uh, Ray Gaddis is a guy, you had him on Extra Time uh, today, Thursday. Ray Gaddis is a guy who used to take a lot of criticism on this podcast and just in Philadelphia union circles in general. Um, and we instituted a rule on the podcast called the Ray Gaddis rule, where if you say something negative about somebody, you got to try to balance it out by saying something positive. About oh, that's a good, I like somebody. that rule.
0: <laughs> so so that's what, maybe we should institute that on extra time. Just get a little balance, just a little optimism in the world.
1: So that's, we, we just used the Ray Gaddis rule there on the, uh, supporter shield foundation. Um, so listen, I don't want to keep you any longer. I just got one more for you. Um, sure. two more games left for the union, uh, Columbus, new England, uh, the supporter shield is there. The playoffs loom. Um, look into the crystal ball, and uh, what, what do you th- what do you think happens with the union over these last two games that end of the playoffs?
0: I think they will. Uh, I think they'll win the shield. I don't think they'll sweep it uh, because I do think that, that Columbus have they have something that they're trying to rediscover. But I think they beat Columbus, and I think it's probably a draw with New England, and that's enough, and that's okay. And and then it, then the playoffs is just a big fat crapshoot. But I think there's something poetic about the ending of this regular season being the union lifting the shield as they bid adieu whenever it comes in January to Brendan Aronson, potentially to Mark McKenzie. I think it's like this confluence of both aspects of their project coming together at the exact same time, which is the development of players with the ultimate goal of selling those players and reinvesting back into that pipeline to create more players just like that, which Brendan Aronson is sort of the trailblazer for. And also the idea that you can win at the same time, which I don't think has been proven in Major League Soccer just yet. The Rebels have done a good bit of that, but they really won their shields with, like, more of a veteran core being sort of the, like, driving force behind it, right? FC Dallas has been incredible at doing that, but they got their shield in Open Cup, and those only seemed like they partially counted because so much of it was behind, like, Maro Diaz and, and Fabian Castillo and this core of guys that wasn't necessarily straight out of the academy, Matt Hedges, draft picks, et cetera, and foreign signings. This will have been winning with the kids who you've had in your system since the very start and then selling a kid at the end of that and going back in. So for the union, no matter what happens in the playoffs, uh, assuming they win the shield, which I think they will, uh, this has been a magical season uh, that has an asterisk, but the sort of asterisk that you can uh, – that you can understand and justify. And I think more more importantly, sort of a harbinger of things to come for this club and this city. I hope. I hope. Because I really admire what they've done there.
1: Yeah, not only are they doing things, quote, unquote, the right way, but they're showing that you can win while doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Wiebe, MLSsoccer.com, Extra Time Radio, senior host and producer for MLS. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming on, man. Maybe one of these days um, – West Virginia will win at, at Fog Allen Fieldhouse and
0: Oh god, are not, you a West Virginia guy too? I am, yeah. Oh Lord. I don't want to slander Morgantown uh, on this podcast, but I have done so just in saying that I would like to do so. <laughs> I went to two KU games in Morgantown. Oh no. One when we were number one, we lost. And then I mm. believe we lost the second one as well two years later, I wanna say. Yeah. Uh, and I have I vowed to never return. <laughs> so I will never be back to to Morgantown P- Morgantown, West Virginia, but I will say that the area surrounding it is beautiful.
1: Well there you go. Well Kansas is on my uh, list of places to get to don't, my
0: don't, uh, don't pull my chain. don't pull my
1: chain. No, 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 My dad and I do a, do a road trip every year for football and we were thinking, well, if we go to Kansas, obviously it's not going to be football, but we might try to see a basketball game. Oh there, see there so you that go. Was, That's so what that would, you should do. That's yeah. what you
0: should do. By There's the way, nice. I just I randomly opened up a pack of tops cards I was sent from 2018 as we were talking. Just so people know, I just got a uh, an Alejandro Bedoya union <laughs> card, which is pretty special here. And then, just for the for kicks and giggles here, I got a Luis Robles Red Bulls. Wow! I got a Kai Kamara Vancouver Whitecaps. And here is the uh, here's the big one: Giovanni dos Santos LA Galaxy <laughs> card. What a time for them! What a time for them! We'll leave it at that. Well, you that saved better them? in Union Town than in most. Yeah. Cities around MLS, so I appreciate
1: that. You save, save those in 50 years. They'll be worth the uh, LeBron James rookie card as well. So uh,
0: I, I hope and pray.
1: Andrew Weeby, thanks for coming on, man. And sorry it took me four years to get you on the podcast. I appreciate it, man.
0: No, this is the Regattas rule, so no apologies, only positivity. <laughs> I'm here right. now.
1: I love that. Thank you, my man. All right. All right, let's see what you guys got in the way of questions, comments, and concerns. I also asked if you wanted to share a favorite palindrome. Uh my favorite one is A Man, a Plan, a Canal, Panama. Uh not the song from Van Halen, Rest in Peace, Eddie. Uh Richard Saunders says, any more jerseys available? Somehow I missed all of that. No, there there aren't. I only have two. Uh two that were like left over that I have uh for myself that we'll save for uh, you know, maybe like a prize for like a live show or something in the future. Um, he says, did the union get a replica or just a banner, like a shield, a replica shield? No, I, I mean, I guess you get the real thing. Uh, do the players get rings? No, I don't think they get rings for the shield. Um, his favorite palindrome is taco cat. Um, he says, are there any, uh, palindromes? Um, if you say them in British with the ER, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to, I'll have to look those up uh he also says should there be a parade for the supporter shield or a possible cup or did we learn that lesson with the uh world war 1 parade that gave thousands of people the flu No, you know I always, I always i think i said in the past that you know if they won like the open cup or they won mls cup or something like that i don't think there would be any kind of proper parade I, but i think in in philadelphia you could get away with uh you do something at city hall like a little event at city hall with uh mayor kenny and some dignitaries and some other douchebags and whatever um Kenny's a soccer fan I think he would go for that you know you do like a little gathering there and, and instead of a couple blocks or maybe you just do a small thing like Villanova did I don't know I don't know if people would come out to that or not I mean pre pre-covid maybe post-covid probably not so <laughs> you might have to just say it, it is what it is you know um or he also says can you do the supporter shield full breakdown all the math the points the prize money ceremony um yeah, some of that stuff I don't know yet because it hasn't been released, but I'll give you the full the, the, the full thing. We'll go over the full thing again because uh, I already touched on it briefly with uh, Andrew. So if, if the Union win both their remaining games, they get to 50. Let me Actually, let me back up here. We don't think that the Seattle, Colorado, and Kansas City, Colorado games are going to be made up. So I, what we what we think is going to happen is that the Union are going to end on 23 games. We think Seattle is going to end on 22. So in that, that case, we can assume they're going to go by points per game, right? So – If the Union win out, it's 50 points over 23 games. That's 2.17 PPG. If Seattle wins out, uh, they get to 44 points. Um, and if Toronto wins out, they get to forty-seven points, right? So those, so Toronto would play twenty-three games. They would be forty-seven divided by twenty-three, would be less than the Union, right? So if the Union win out, they beat Toronto for sure. But if Seattle wins out, they gets to they get to forty-four points, okay? But forty-four points time divided by twenty-two games only, that's two PPG. So if the Union win out and Seattle wins out, the Union would be two point one seven, and Seattle would be two. All right? You following? You following me, camera guy? Right? So if the union go win or draw, they get to forty eight points. Forty eight divided by twenty three games is two point zero eight. Uh, and if they win lose or lose win, they get to forty seven points. Forty seven divided by twenty three is two point oh four. So uh, Seattle, if if the union get three points, um, Seattle, assuming it stays at twenty two games, they they can't get Seattle can't get past two PPG flat right now. So the union can get four points or three points, and they will get to two point oh four or two point oh eight. If the union don't win a, another one at all, it's forty four. They get they barely lose to Seattle. If Seattle have to win out, but but it's it's a hard it's a harder situation for Seattle to to win out than the union to win their two games, and and so so the so the union pretty much are going to have it locked up if they if they win. Um, on Sunday in Columbus, but they're not going to technically get. They can't technically win the shield on Sunday because there's still the point zero zero one percent chance that Toronto makes up like their sixteen goal differential or whatever it is. Right? Okay, so uh, there's a chance that they could finish on the same amount of points, but the Union would have the goal differential. So stand by because we don't we don't have all the the full information, but but if they go, they confirm that they're going to do the playoffs by PPG playoffs, so I would assume that it's going to be the same thing for the Supporters' Shield, right? Um, John says, do the union have any way to block call-ups in the November window? Unfortunately, I don't think they do. I mean, look at what happened with FIFA and, and Brujo last time, so I think they're kind of screwed. That's, that's why the supporter shield is important to me or interesting to me because I feel like that's something you can lock up right now. You can get your first piece of hardware. And then if you get dicked over in the playoffs, so be it. You can say it was a really successful season and they won their first trophy in franchise history. You know, that's, that's the most immediate thing, I think, for me. Um, Shane says Andre seems to hit his hands and his head on the post and net a lot more than average for a top keeper. Um,. Yeah, I've noticed that too. You know, it's interesting and he he had a hand injury, I think, uh from the from the Copa a, a couple years ago, 2016, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, it's interesting cuz he always seems to be at like full stretch. Um you know, and he's always you know diving in these long and lanky positions, and I think because of that maybe that's why these uh you know collisions with the posts and the crossbar happen, maybe. Um. Or you know, when he's outstretched like that, your body doesn't have a lot of give. You know, sometimes if you're, if the goalkeeper runs into the uh, post, but he's not really at full stretch, he just kind of crumples up, and then like there's give there. So I don't really know. I'd be interested in having like a goalkeeping expert kind of weigh in on that. But it just it just seems to me like, uh, yeah, he does he does seem to have more contact with the with the posts and with the, with the net and the crossbar than other people. Uh, Jim Curtin's burner account says. Uh, I've heard mention about U.S. players that can get European passports, um, having an easier time getting transfers to Europe uh, than ones who can't. I.e., F- Fontana can get one versus McKenzie, you can't. Can you explain that a little bit uh, and how it, and why it affects the player's ability to get a transfer? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's different. You know, it's different labor laws for different countries in in Europe, obviously. Like you know, Germany. Part of I think Brian touched on this. Brian Shredda touched on this last podcast we did. But, you know, some just have more lax laws than others do. So it's easier for an American non passport holder to get to go through Germany or Austria than it is England. I don't know why their labor laws are, are like that, you know. Um, and I think certain countries it's easier to come in through, too. I seem to recall that it's that Jamaica has different, uh, has more, might have more difficulty or a different kind of path than an American player. So that would be, that would change Corey and Andre's status if they wanted to go to Europe. Um, of course, Corey ended up in Austria, right? So it's just easier to go that path. So, you know, like not only is that is that better for, uh, you know, young Americans, I think, because we all agree that the, the path through Germany is probably more kinder to young American players, but it's also easier for them to get the, the work permits and the visas and the stuff that they need to play over there. So that's kind of a complicated subject. That gets into like individual labor laws for, for different countries and whatnot. Maybe we can get a lawyer, a uh, lawyer on here to talk about that. Um, Dan says, who looks best? um uh, matchup wise um to take down the union in the playoffs besides Toronto um okay so let's look at the standings right now union are in first place chicago's in 10th montreal's in 9th um <clears throat> New England's there again at number eight. Yeah, I mean, like you know, if Miami sneaks in, I hear some people saying like, well, you know, if they start to find their form finally with Iguain and Blaise Matuidi and, and and those guys, maybe you don't want to see them in the in the first game that you play for sure. Um, Orlando's tricky. Orlando's pretty good. I, I you know, I think like I, I don't know they they've, Toronto's obviously the biggest test. Columbus, but Orlando's tough too. I wouldn't worry about Nashville. They're kind of clunky. Uh, New York, they've beat New York before. Red Bull is not a threat. New England Revolution is not a threat. Montreal, they can beat Chicago. They can beat Miami's tricky. Miami is a little tricky, so I'd, I'd be a little bit wary of that. Um, he also has a comment. He says, uh, fuck Martinez's national team call-up, such a complete waste. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, the only thing that he got out of that that was a positive was that he got experience in a national team camp. Uh, you know, I mean, you get training sessions with, uh, you know, Thomas, Thomas Rincon from, from Torino, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, there's a benefit to getting your feet wet and maybe that's a stepping stone to getting there in the future. And then maybe he plays games for Venezuela in the future. And then maybe that benefits the union who now have an internationally experienced player and they can, maybe they can sell him for money down the road. But yeah, I mean, right now it doesn't do anything for him. It's a, it's a big negative. So uh union Hulk is running a poll. Oh, he says, hello, Kevin Dino. Please ask your perfect IASIP listeners uh, which one of these free agents is coming just in time to win the whole MLS motherfucker for a Philadelphia Union. Is it Balotelli, uh, Sturridge, Daniel Sturridge, Jack Wilshire, or Ronaldinho? There were uh, 35 votes. I voted for Balotelli, actually. Uh, It looks like Ronaldinho is the winner with 43% of the votes. So Uh, 35 listeners believe that Ronaldinho um, will be the free agent who comes to help the union win the MLS cup. Ezra says, what if they do it, ma'am? <laughs> I just, it's just such the, uh, wouldn't it be just, the most, it would be even in their most successful year, it would still be so union. Wouldn't it for them to win the shield in a, in a, uh, you know, in a season where it's so horribly unbalanced and there's all these, these crazy complications and whatnot. But I will say this, you know, kind of piggybacking off what Andrew and I were talking about. Um, it's not any less than an achievement. You know, it's still an achievement. To, to win the supporter shield, whether it's unbalanced or not, is really hard. You, know, you can make an argument that it's harder to be bad, to be really, really good over 34 games than it, e- than it is to win in the playoffs where you have to win, what, like five or six or seven or whatever, a much smaller number, or the U.S. Open Cup. You know, we only got to win five games in a row. I mean, think think about think about the path that the Union took to the U.S. Open Cup final every single time. You know, like Harrisburg City Islanders, New York Cosmos, then like the Revs in Chicago, or like a, like a KC or something like that. All you really had to do was win five games in a row to get your first trophy in franchise history. That would mean much less than playing 23, game, 23 unbalanced games and being better over 23 if you gave me 23 unbalanced games versus like five games where you get a bunch of them at home against like Harrisburg or whatever, I would say that an unbalanced 2020 supporter shield is harder to pull off and means a lot more than any one of those U S open cup finals would have, you know? And again, it's just, it's, it's not any less of an achievement. It's just a different kind of achievement to the idea that these guys, again, left their wives and their kids, their families at home, went down and uh, bought in to the bubble and committed to it. Nobody opted out. Um, they all knew what the concerns were, but they were competitors and they wanted to go down there and try to do their best and compete in that tournament, bring some points home for the regular season, and then continue to to do it while traveling around the country during a glo- or traveling up and down the East Coast during a global pandemic. I mean, you got to give them a ton of credit either way. You can put a big asterisk on it if you want. You can say Seattle had a harder path. You can say the Union had a harder path. I think the Union Think whatever bullshit mathematics, statistic analytics that they ran on the MLS site, I think they said that the union's path was harder, but um you know, either way, it's uh when you put COVID into it, COVID makes it even more of a accomplishment in my mind. So I'm not just saying that as a as a Philly dude. I mean, you guys know have known that you know, I have a reputation for being negative Delphia over the years. I, I would go super Posidelphia with the with the supporter shield, even if it had an asterisk on it. Um John says, "I have another uh, Champions League thought. Um, they still need to finish the 2020 tournament in December, with uh, New York City, um, Montreal, LAFC, and Atlanta still competing. It seems like LAFC has the best shot uh, with Vela coming back, and the rest are hobbled for their own reasons. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. There's another question. I think somebody was asking me if we would get the uh, the CCL berth over Toronto since they're a Canadian team. I, I mean, yeah, but I don't think they played the Canadian Championship this year, did they?" Right, like I think that was scrapped because that's normally how they qualify, how they send their qualifiers. So I don't, I don't know. We're gonna to have to stand by and see what happens uh, with the Champions League. I don't want to, uh, you know, jinx it. Knock on wood. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what's, what's hap- what's happening with that. I, th- I think we can probably guess that it's gonna be points per game for the shield, and maybe by the time the podcast is published, they'll have announced that. But um, I, re- I really don't know. I don't know what the Champions League spots are gonna be like. I don't think they've, they've said how it's gonna work out yet. Um, John says, your thoughts on Elliot at the six. Uh, with Martinez testing positive for Koa, does this mean Elliott gets a start there for the rest of the season or do we switch formations to a 4-2-3-1-ish uh, scheme? Yeah, well, listen, I, I like him better than Bedoya there because I think Bedoya is more, more valuable as a, as a shuttler, you know, and when Montero comes. I mean, think about it. Last night against Chicago, Wednesday night against Chicago, they really didn't play that well because they are missing half their midfield and then you had to pull Aronson back to play the eight instead, you know? I mean, Fontana's not a, well, I guess they, he kind of is a starter now these days, but the thing with Elliott is that they just don't, he, he's not really going to, you know, grab the ball and kind of uh, possess the way Mar- Martinez can. He doesn't sort of have that, um, you know, consistent, I'm in sync kind of feel for the, the, te- the tempo of, um, of playing D mid, he's a good defender and he's a good ball winner and he can play good passes, but he's not a guy who's going to like put an impression on, on the game from like a f- grab a hold of it in a, in a possession and start pinging the ball around kind of way. Um, but I mean, I, I like him there as a, another defensive minded guy. Like, look, I, this is what we we're talking about the last time. I think the, the, they, without Carval and without, uh, Martinez the first time they went four, two, three, one, and they put Jamiro and, and Bedoya back there kind of like double pivot. Next game, they put Bedoya back there by himself in the four four two diamond, and then they tried Elliot the next time. So they've done different things. Like, philosophically, would you bring an offensive guy back, or would you put a defensive guy further up the field? You know, like me as a center back, I would say I would put Elliot up there, knowing that he played that at WVU, and that he gives you some, some of that extra bite in there. Bedoya gives you better passing. And uh possession and positioning, but you lose some some tackling ability and some defensive ability. I think they did okay with Elliott, you know, if you worry about conceding possession, okay. Um but they've been giving up possession for most of their games this year, and that's been that's been okay with them for uh, for them, you know. Um Shane says was was the poor performance against Chicago due to tired legs, let down after the huge Toronto win, missing Brujo and Jamiro in the midfield. It was it was all those things. You know, is all those things, and like those are the kinds of games where you get a cheap red card like that. Where, you know, you have Harris Medunion who, who, that, that's that's last year and the year before, they would just sort of grab those games. And they would just strangle you in possession, but they're not really the type of team, especially with Elliot there. You know, to just start bossing possession, and hemming teams in. I, I thought they should have went the opposite. I thought they should have pressed higher and pushed more numbers up the field and just try to like grind uh, Chicago down, just tire them out. You know, if you're not going to strangle them in possession, just try to give them the ball and just press them into oblivion and, you know, make, make 10 men wear themselves out. And they, they kind of sort of did, did that a little bit at the end of the game. And, you know, you saw on the uh, Corey Burke goal, they just sort of had an inside-outside just sort of one-two combination where they sucked in a bunch of dudes, and then Mbiza was wide open on the on the left, and they, they broke them down eventually with that. So it's kind of the way to go. If you're not going to be able to possess like that. Um, Mike suggests a United States of uh, America, uh, segment where we do words that end in the letter A for all the states, uh, that live in the, uh, or all the states in the USA. I think it's a fantastic idea, but I'll have to do it with Russ. Um, you know, cause again, some people, some people like the words that end in letter A segment and some people don't. It's a controversial, segment, but I, I'll, I'll keep my promise to you. If you, if we can get a British person on the podcast or an Australian person or Brett Brown, um, and they do the segment, we'll retire it forever. So that's my deal to you. Um, Ricky says, if the union win, uh, in Columbus, does it just happily save us from a fifth attempt at watching the Union beat the Rebs? Yeah, you know, it's strange because, I mean, they've played them. Uh, they played them f- uh, one, two, three, four. They played, played them four times already. They beat them twice in the regular season. They beat them once in Orlando and they tied them, too. I mean, how hard is it to beat a team four times in one year? Like, we don't really think they're going to beat the Revs four times, do we? I don't know. Maybe they maybe they draw a win, draw, draw, draw. Would a draw, draw be able to get it done? Maybe if Seattle doesn't win out, I don't know. It's just it's just weird. I remember we used to do that five for five show. I don't, do you guys remember that show, the five for five show that we did with the Union website like way back in the day? Um, it was me and Karith and um, Heather Mitz um, and Peter Pappas was on it for a little bit too, um, where we just talked about like because Heather played with like. Um, you know, when she was in WPS, I mean, there was only so many teams in the league. And so you had to play sky blue like six times a season, you know, like how many times you, you're so familiar with these teams and so familiar with their players, like surely you're not going to beat a team five times or four, four times or six times. That's why I just the revs game gives me a weird feeling because I don't know how often that happens. I don't know how often you can beat a team that you see that often. You know, it, it feels like another tight, like, like one, one two, one kind of game. I don't know. Um, a Craig says winning their first trophy, uh, they won't get to keep, uh, after it was nearly not given in front of an empty stadium that people will try to throw a f- fat asterisk next to. That's so union and I'm very proud of them. Yeah, no, it is, isn't it? If it, if it does happen, it'll be, it'll be the only appropriate way to, uh, to make it happen, wouldn't it? <laughs> So it's a great inside joke that we share among, like, the 18,000 people who are down at the stadium all the time. Uh, Super Wentz uh, says, thoughts on the U13s? Absolutely dominating since the start of MLS. His next tournament, uh, Sullivan is a star in the making. Yeah, they're really good. I think uh, Marlon LeBlanc's son scored another banger, didn't he? Kellen, he's damn good. They got a lot of talent, man. Like, the <laughs> the Academy's good, man. They're, like, churning out. Uh, people, I texted Tommy Wilson. I said, "Hey, congrats, man, on on um, you know Brendan Aronson and mm. you know you guys uh, transferring him. That's a huge moment for them. I mean, seven years in the making. And uh, you know, it's funny. I I, I um I remember t- Tommy had a quote. I think the last like just before I left the beat it was like 2017 or something like that. It was when Don Garber came up to visit the." Uh, the Academy and YSC and Tommy said, you know, it's, it's great that we're getting all these plaudits for having a great facility and a great uh, organization and a plan here in a school, but I want to be judged on the quality of the player that we produce. You know, I thought that was a great quote at the time because it's like, yeah, you can blow sunshine up their ass a million different ways. And you can say, they're doing the right things. They're, they have the school, they're, you know, combing the area and casting the net and bringing in all these kids and doing it the right way. Right. But like I said, to Weeby. not only are they quote unquote doing it the right way. They're, they're, they're winning while doing that. And they're transferring dudes for $6 million. Dude from Medford's 19 years old. The union just sold him to Salzburg for $6 million. So I would love to revisit that quote with Tommy. Maybe we get him on the podcast and say, well, now you can be judged on the quality of the player and the quality of the player is damn good. So congratulations, congratulations, you know, um, all right, what else do we got here? Um, rich ransom. Did union fans, uh, in the end, trust the team's process? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think they did, you know, and I think, um, what was our Academy take on this, on this podcast? Yeah. I, I, I thought the Academy was always intriguing. And it was interesting. It was, I, I always said it was hard for me to get excited about the Academy because you got to wait, you know, and in the meantime, you're watching the team cheap out and fail to win a playoff game, get nine seasons without a playoff win. And you just kind of kept telling yourself, well, just be patient, be patient. They're putting money into the Academy. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I guess the team, the fans did trust the process. I mean, they were, I don't think anybody was anti Academy. Were they? I don't, I don't think anybody was like, well, they're doing it the wrong way. I think people appreciated what they were doing, but they were frustrated in the meantime because they wanted to win because they weren't doing jack shit until then. So I think, I think it made the weight harder. Um, but I think that, um, I think, I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I think they, I think most people did trust the, trust the team's process. Um, Rich says, who don't we want to see in the postseason? Yeah, we, we kind of answered that, but Miami, yeah. He says, inform Miami seems formidable. I would agree with that. Uh, Max says, where does Corey Burke fit in, uh, replacing Vooten as the striker sub after Sergio burns himself out. Did Vooten justify his time with the goal line clearance? Yeah. It's interesting, man. Like, isn't Vooten kind of like a Sapong kind of player where it's like, you know, he doesn't, well, I don't know if that's a great. Uh, comparison. I, I guess it is, you know, because um, Corey, um, CJ wasn't scoring like boatloads of goals outside of that one season. But, uh, you know, the stuff he did in hold-up play, winning fouls, you know, um, being a defensive-minded striker too at the same time. I mean, that was a big deal. Vooten does a lot of like small thing. I mean, four assists this year. One of them just came off his chest. They so didn't mean to do it. But so three assists and a goal line clearance. And I don't know, man. They're just they're, they're finding ways with everybody I, I, th- I think if I had to you know if I was doing the subs right now I think uh, Sergio and Casper and, and then I I don't know I think I'd t- I bring Corey off the bench make him the number three I don't think there's too much of a difference between Corey and uh, Vooten I think Corey's more aggressive and he's got a better nose around goal um, I think Vooten would have finished that cross too and I think Cashbury would. Have I don't know. I just don't think there's a lot separating them. I'm not I'm not anti Burke. I mean you guys know that. I just don't think he's I think he's just kind of the same as all the other guys they have. So um here's another question about the supporter shield and the F- CONCACAF slot. I don't know. I don't know about the Champions League yet. Um Joe says freeze or Bendick? I don't yeah, I don't know man. I don't know what the hell's up with Andre's hand. Um maybe news will come out um friday but um i think it's a wash dude honestly i'd feel exactly the same with matt freeze or joe bendick back there joe bendick's experience knows what he's doing kind of flapped at that one the other night got caught in no man's land before the clearance but and matt freeze has had some had some starts too so he's he's not a scrub either i don't i don't I, i feel the same way about the last question i just answered i don't think there's much of a difference between those two uh, John Lockerbie says, uh, should, should, should Ray Gaddis take the next PK only if they're up three, nothing or four, nothing. I would say, uh, Tom says, do you think Andre and the union are playing the long con game on FIFA and Jamaica? So he doesn't have to leave the country for the international window. No, but that would be amazing. Wouldn't it? I would love if they pulled some, um, pulled that kind of thing on him. Wouldn't it be great I'd Tell FIFA to, to stick it, you know? Um. Here's the last one from Billy Venture. He says Fontaner, Anthony Fontaner. All right. Well, thanks. I think I took everybody's question there um, because it's a podcast for the people, by the people, and maybe the people will have a supporters' shield in the near future. Knock on wood.